So the big question is this, how are real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base, how do we grow a real estate business conservatively to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. This is the Real Estate Underground podcast show number 52. Hey, everybody, Ed Matthews here with the Real Estate Underground podcast. Today is a special, and I know that I always say this, but I tell this to all the girls, right? But this one's cool because the reason, and I was just telling my guest here, Eric Oliver, that one of the cool things about having a podcast is that I get to invite people on the podcast and ask them questions that are self-serving because this is something I'm particularly interested in. But I also know that speaking with a bunch of you out there, that this is something, especially now with bonus depreciation, starting to sunset and all that, this is definitely something that is on the top of mind of a lot of real estate investors. So first off, Eric, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to finally meet you in person. Like I said, I've been stalking you on LinkedIn and elsewhere for quite some time. So I'm glad we finally got together. Uh, well, yeah, no, I'm glad to be here. Excited. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. So I know you're a real estate investor and we're going to get into that a little later, but right now from a cost seg perspective, for those of us out there, let's just level the ground a little bit. Sure. When we talk about cost segregation, for those of us out there that may be a little bit newer to this, exactly what does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. And so cost segregation really is just accelerated depreciation. So one of the benefits of owning real estate is that you get tax write-offs in the form of depreciation. So when you buy a building, if you buy a residential building or anything where anybody lives, for example, multifamily, that gets depreciated typically over 27 and a half years. Now, I don't know where that extra half year came from, Ed, so don't ask, but uh, <laughs> it's Congress for you. Right. But yeah, 27 and a half years is what typically your building gets depreciated over. So just to make the math easy, if you had a $275,000 building, you would get roughly a $10,000 write-off every year for the next 27 and a half years. And that's called standard straight line depreciation. Cost segregation is just accelerating those deductions. So I may not own my building for 27 and a half years. So give me my deductions now. And the way that we can front load or take those deductions at a faster rate is through an engineering-based study where we go in and say, okay, your carpet, for example, within your multifamily building does not last 27 and a half years. Actually, the IRS says it only lasts five years. And so you should be depreciating your the value of your carpet over five years. Problem being, though, that your CPA, when you buy that building and you give them the closing statement, your CPA has no clue what the value of the yeah. carpet is. Or how right? much there is, right? Or how much there is, right? Or how thick the concrete is out in the driveway or right. all these different things that the IRS says we can depreciate at a faster rate if we knew the value. And so that's where the cost segregation comes in is we come in and we segregate the cost of your building so that you can depreciate the different components at a much faster rate, which, you know, with time value of money, inflation, there's a number of reasons why you want to take your deduction sooner than later. So that's, that's kind of a, in a nutshell, what cost segregation is. Okay. And so one of the preconceived notions I've come into this conversation with, and, and I've been told by other folks that claim they know what they're talking about, who knows, is, you know, in terms of the size of the building or the value of the building. And the rule of thumb I was always told was, if your building's worth a million dollars, that's probably where it starts to make sense to do cost segregations because of the cost of the services and the value you get back, sure. right? I'm pretty sure that's not the case anymore. 
So no. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. No, you're exactly right. So, you know, if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have been in agreement with you. I would have said, you know, you got to have a million dollar building in order for this cost segregation to make sense. A couple things have changed. One is in 2017, 2018, there was something called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which really opened up cost segregation to a wider range of investors. It no longer had to be large investors who were buying large multifamily or office space. And the reason for that is because of bonus depreciation. So with the passing of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that was the Donald Trump tax cuts. There's been a lot of talk in the news again about his tax returns and him paying no tax. This is why. When he did the uh, tax overhaul there, it was very favorable to real estate investors and Like I said, one of the things that came out of that was something called bonus depreciation, which now has made cost segregation even that much more valuable. It put our numbers basically on steroids and increased the benefit for all investors. So because of that, cost segregation is becoming more and more prevalent. And so the fees have come down. There's more players in the industry. So fees have come down. Technology has gotten better. So we're able to do the studies for a less dollar amount and the benefits have gone up higher. So now I would say any, even a single family rental, we do single family rentals all the time. You have a single family rental, you paid, let's say you paid 250,000 for it. I don't know a lot of markets in the country where you can still get a home for 250, but I know they're out there. So you buy a house for 250, let's say the land is worth 50 because land is not depreciable. So you always have to back out your land value. So let's say land is worth 50. That leaves you 200,000 of depreciable basis. Mm -hmm. On that 200,000, you can expect from a quality cost segregation study that you're gonna segregate about 30% of that. So 30% of 200,000 is about 60,000. Meaning we're gonna create a $60,000 deduction that you normally would not have been able to take. So 60,000 times a 30% tax bracket, that's a medium tax bracket, that doesn't even include your state rate, that's an $18,000 tax savings. Now, if yeah, and a study on a study on a single family home probably costs you around three thousand. So if you're paying three thousand to save eighteen, I'll do that all day long. All day. Yeah. So to answer your question more precisely, anything over about two hundred thousand dollars is worth looking at, depending on your tax situation, your tax bracket. It may or may not make sense, but definitely worth running the numbers on at anything around two hundred thousand. I would say. Wow. Fantastic. So you mentioned a couple of things I'd like to unpack a little bit. One is bonus depreciation, right? 2022 is the last year of hundred percent bonus depreciation. It's beginning to sunset. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is, how it works and you know, the fact yeah. that there's still opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. So cost segregation has been around long before bonus. So at, even without bonus, it makes sense to take an asset that normally would get depreciated over 27 and a half years yeah. and now depreciated over five years. But what bonus does, bonus is a tool the government uses to stimulate the economy. So if the economy is not doing well, they'll say, hey, let's increase the bonus percentage. If the economy is doing well, they might lower the bonus percentage. But bonus is, I'll use a dump truck example. You buy a dump truck and normally, let's say a dump truck gets depreciated over 15 years. Right. If you spend a million dollars on a dump truck and you get 50% bonus, that means that you get to take 50% of your depreciation amount in the first year. So on a million dollar dump truck, you get to take $500,000 of depreciation in the first year versus taking one fifteenth or spreading it out over 15 individual deductions. Yeah, yeah. So the way cost segregation and bonus depreciation play together is In order to take bonus depreciation under the current law, you have to have an asset that has a useful life of 20 years or less. 
And so normally, like I said, real estate typically gets depreciated over 27 and a half. So a normal real estate building doesn't qualify. But if you have a cost segregation study done and we identify five-year assets, things like carpet, countertops, cabinets, mm -hmm. and 15-year assets, all of your land improvements, curbs, gutters, asphalt, all that stuff. Those are both under 20 years. And with the current law being 100% bonus, you get to take 100% of whatever we put the value of those assets to. You get to write that off in the first year. Wow. So again, if you want to look at the numbers I, I mentioned earlier, you got a $200,000 home. If we find 30% that we can put into short asset lives or 60,000, because of a hundred percent bonus, you get that sixty thousand all in the first year. Wow! Now next year it does start to phase out. It drops to eighty percent versus a hundred percent. So anything, any buildings that are placed into service in twenty twenty three, instead of getting that a hundred percent of that sixty thousand, you're now going to get eighty percent of that sixty thousand. The other twenty percent gets spread out over the useful life of each asset. But so even it doesn't go away. So that's go away. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So bonus depreciation phases out 20% every year for the next five years until 2027 when it's down to zero or until the tax law changes, depending on the economy. There was actually some talks in this recent bill that was just passed in the lame duck session in Congress. They were possibly going to extend bonus into next year. It didn't get in yeah. the bill, but um, there are talks, depending on how the economy goes, it may be something that they end up extending, but We'll just have to wait and see. But right now, anything placed into service between, yeah, 927 of 2017, so September 27th of 17, yeah. and the end of this year is eligible for that 100% bonus. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. A couple of things that come out of that. One is bonus recapture. So I own the building, you know, most of the buildings, I don't think I'm unique in that, you know, we buy a 10 unit and we hold it for, we make it clean and safe and beautiful and run it really efficiently. And five years later, we sell it to somebody else to run and we then trade up to a 25 unit building, right? Sure. So at the end of that five-year cycle, do I owe the IRS a whole bunch of money? That's probably the number one question we get asked, even from CPAs is there's just a misunderstanding of how depreciation recapture works. And so I'll kind of back into this just using an example because I think it's easier to understand. But the whole idea behind cost segregation is to take your deduction today at your ordinary income rate. So let's say I'm in a 35% federal rate and a 5% state rate. I'm going to take my deduction against 40%. I'm going to pay back a portion of it at a lower rate at a future date and save the spread. And that portion is dependent upon how long I own it. So let me back into this. Let's say you, in your example, let's say you buy that 10 unit for a million bucks. Sure. And you sell it five years later for 2 million. If you don't do cost segregation and you just leave that as one big lump of an asset on your depreciation schedule, when you go to sell that asset, you're telling the IRS that over the course of five years, everything has doubled in value, right? Because you bought it all for a million, you're selling it all for 2 million, so everything's doubled in value. And that's true about your land and your walls, but your dirty old nasty carpet did not double in value, right? Your appliances aren't worth double today what they were when you bought them five years ago. So by doing cost segregation, let me ask you, what are your five-year assets worth after owning the building for five years, according to the IRS? Zippity doodah, right? Yeah, that's right. There were zero. They're five-year assets. You've owned them for five years. They're fully depreciated. They have zero book value left. You should sell that dirty, nasty carpet you've had for five years. You should be selling it for zero. The rest of it gets moved over to capital gains, which you pay 
at, let's say, even worst case scenario, 20%. So I'm taking my deduction at 40, paying back at 20 and saving the spread. Got it. And so that's really how cost segregation and recapture work is take your deduction today at a high rate, pay back a portion of it. Because remember, we're not paying recapture on that dirty carpet. So we're only paying it back on some of it. Pay back a portion of it at a lower rate at a future date and save that spread. So, okay, yeah, that's the easiest way to describe it is. And if you remember anything from that last 30 seconds of what I just said, don't sell your carpet for more than you bought it for. Right. And if you're not doing cost seg, that's what you're doing unintentionally is selling that dirty carpet for more than you paid for it and paying tax on that gain, which you shouldn't. Which is a huge point, right? Yeah. That's a fully depreciated asset that's worthless. You shouldn't be paying money on that. No, don't be paying gain on that. You're not selling that for more than you bought it for, but you got to have it segregated out so that you can pull that out of the transaction and say, hey, my gain, my million dollars of gain on this property, that was for the building and the land, not that personal property. And so it allows you to lower your tax bill upon sale. Okay. One of the other things that you mentioned a little bit back, and I wanted to delve into this as well, is that it's never too late to do a cost seg project, right? I mean, I've, I have buildings I've owned for you know four or five plus years. Is it too late to do it? Or is it only valid for properties that I'm just buying in 2022? No. So the great thing about cost segregation, it's one of the few tax planning tools in terms of real estate that is so flexible. So the IRS allows us to go back and do what we call a look back study or a catch up study Mm. and say, okay, Ed, you bought the property in 2017. At the time, maybe you didn't need the deduction or maybe you didn't know about cost seg. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this income. You need the deduction. You can actually go back, do a cost seg study on that property you bought in 2017 bring those deductions forward, drop it on your current tax return without ever having to amend. There's a form we fill out. We actually provide it as part of our service. Most cost state companies, some of them do, some of them don't, but it's a 3115. It's called a change in accounting method where you're telling the IRS, hey, for the last five years, I've been taking my standard deduction. I now want to change to what they call accelerated depreciation. And here's the difference in those numbers. And you get to take it on your current return. It's actually interesting. You're actually checking a box that says you're going from an impermissible method of depreciation to a permissible method. So essentially, you're telling the IRS, hey, I was depreciating my carpet over 27 and a half. That's wrong. I'm going to fix it and do it over the correct useful life of five years. And because I'm fixing it, I now get all this additional depreciation. And you get to take that on the current return without having to amend, which is great. So Absolutely. It's a great opportunity. If you own real estate and you're paying taxes, definitely look into cost segregation because you can go back on those older properties. And translation is if you like money, you probably (laughs) want to look at this, right? Yes. Um, So in terms of timing, you and I are meeting here. It's almost the last week of December. This show will probably air sometime in January, but is it too late for me to capture or to do a cost seg project for my 2022 tax returns? Oh, you know, that's a great question, Ed. We get that all the time this time of year. I get calls frantic. Hey, Eric, I got to get on your schedule. You know, it's the 1st of December. I know these studies usually take about 30 days. Can we get it done before the end of the year? The great news is, is the study itself does not need to be done in this calendar year. So your 2022 tax return is probably due in April, or if you extend, you might have until October. And you only need to have the study completed in time for your CPA or tax preparer to take our report take those numbers from our report, put it into your tax return. So you have until, 
you know, we started to get pretty busy come February, March, obviously, for the April deadline. But if you're filing in April, you still have plenty of time to get these cost seg studies in. And then again, if you extend, you really have until October of next year to get these cost seg studies completed. And, wow. and you're, so you're telling me that there's still a possibility of getting 100% bonus depreciation. My back is slightly against the wall in that, you know, you and I are talking the last week of December of tax year, but sure. uh, 2022, but there's still time if you act. Yeah. And the nice thing is bonus depreciation is calculated based on when you put your building into service. So let's say you put your building into service last year. So you put it in during a bonus period. Even if you don't get the study done till next July mm -hmm. in 2023, because your building was in service in 2021, it's eligible for 100%. And we're still getting it done before you get your 2022 taxes. So you can use those deductions on your 2022 tax return. Phenomenal. Are you interested in real estate investing right here in Connecticut? Ever wonder where all those real estate investing pros hang out to network? Did you know the Connecticut Real Estate Investors Association will introduce you to those investors and will help you learn how to find deals, fund those deals, and even teach you how to do it without leaving your current job? Go to ctrea.com, that's C-T-R-E-I-A.com, and click on the events button to register for an upcoming event. Hope to see you soon. Buying investment real estate is both thrilling and sometimes stressful. Without a lending expert by your side, most investors don't stand a chance. That's where CTRIA Funding comes in. CTRIA Funding was founded by investors to help investors just like you fund their deals. Whether you're buying a single family rehab, an apartment building, or really any investment property, our team will understand your deal and help you close quickly. Go to ctreiafunding.com or call us at 860-876-0572. Let's talk about the process. You mentioned that it is about a 30-day process to do one of these studies. Can you walk us through kind of how it begins? What kind of information do you need from a building owner? And what kind of access do you need to the building? And then let's go from there. Yeah, so kind of the process is... is I would say 90% of the cost aid companies out there will provide a free benefit analysis because we don't ever want to engage you as a taxpayer if you're not going to save significant dollars based on what our fee is. So we want to see somewhere between at least a 7 and 10x return on our fee. So that's the first thing is we'll, we get the depreciation schedule or your closing statement. We'll look up the property. We'll look at the land value. We'll put together some numbers and say, okay, Ed, you paid a million bucks for it. We think we're going to be able to save you a hundred thousand in taxes. Here's what our fee would be. And then you decide to move forward. So that's the first okay. part. Once we've decided to move forward, then the IRS does require us to do a site visit on each of these properties. So that can be done one of two ways, depending on the size and scope of the project. We can either send one of our engineers out. We've got engineers that are going out all over the country, or we would do the site visit virtually. So that would be either you or a property manager, we would set up a video conference similar to the Zoom call we're on here. Yep. And you would go around and say, okay, show us the flooring in the kitchen, show us the cabinets, take us around the property. There's certain things we need to see in order to conduct the study. Once that site visit's done, whether it's done virtually or in person, it usually takes about three weeks for us to compile the numbers. And so our deliverable back to you after that three weeks, it's a 40 to 60 page report that has all the backup documentation that says, here's how many cabinets, here's what the value of those cabinets were, here's the square footage of carpet. We put all that information in. 
put values to all those different components. Now, when we deliver that report to you, your CPA is probably going to go to the very last page. They don't care about all the case law and the reasons why we can do it. They're going to go to the last page where we have a revised depreciation schedule. And that depreciation schedule says, instead of putting one asset on the books for a million dollars, put these 12 categories in, and here's the value of each of those categories. Flooring, 50,000. Appliances, 80,000, or whatever those numbers may be. They're looking for that last page, upload it in their tax software, and that's how you realize the benefit. So basically, you're breaking a building up, in, you know, one building, one asset into a dozen different asset classes, yep. valued at different values and uh, different depreciation schedules, and then submitting that as part of your return. That's exactly right. And then you've got all the backup report. We provide 100% audit support. We should probably talk about that. These reports, sometimes people think, yeah, sometimes people- You said the A word, so that was my next question. (laughs) Every time I say that, I'm like, I shouldn't have said that because people are going to think that they're going to get audited. But cost segregation in and of itself, just to give you some track record, we've done close to 12,000 studies. We've been involved in 12 audits out of those 12,000 studies. And not a single audit was triggered by the COSAC study. So what ends up happening is there's something else in your return that they want to look at. When they see you've done a COSAC study, they will ask to see the report. There's actually an audit guide that the IRS puts out that tells their agents how to review these reports. And so you do want to have a good quality study to back up your numbers. You don't want to... I was working with, a, this is a true story, about three weeks ago, CPA calls me, says, I got a client, we did a casual COSAC study. I'm like, what the hell is a casual COSAC study? I'm like, I've done this for seven years. Yeah, COSAC light is another one. Those are always throw up red flags for me. So I said, well, let me see your, let me see the depreciation schedule and I'll see if we can help you. So he sends me the depreciation schedule. And on that depreciation schedule, what the CPA had done is done what we call a rule of thumb approach where they just said, eh, there's about $80,000 worth of appliances. There's all these perfectly whole numbers, like 50,000, 80,000. I mean, this is like red flags for the IRS, right? (laughs) You don't want to have your CPA do these studies themselves because they don't have the backup. The audit guide says there's no governing body that says you have to be a certified appraiser or anything like that. But it does say that you need to have tax knowledge, which your tax preparer does have. But then the second thing it states is you have to have knowledge about construction. And so that is where your CPA probably lacks. And so that's why most firms will outsource this type of service to a company like ours. And so audits, you don't really have to worry about an audit as long as you're paying a a reputable company to do this. Our studies are standalone. They have all the backup documentation. We actually do our studies in the same order as the audit guide that says, okay, it needs this, 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 and this. And so audits are not a problem at all in terms of cost segregation. Okay. So I'll ask a dumb question then. And it is a dumb question on purpose. Why can't I just do this myself? You can. And... You may get away with it. If you're ever audited, that's when they're going to throw it out. They're going to say, how did you determine that your driveway or your parking lot was worth 100000 And you better know how thick that asphalt is. Yeah, <laughs> right. You better know how thick that asphalt is. You better have some methodology to say, hey, I use this software, this construction estimating software that told me that concrete from 1990 when my building was built was this value. I mean, there's a whole methodology that goes into this. That's the first reason. It'll get thrown out. That's number one. That's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Number two is even more important, I think, is that your numbers are going to be so conservative compared to paying for somebody who knows what they're doing to do the study. So you might be able to say, okay, my appliances are worth 20,000 or whatever. Right, right. But what you're missing is that 
plumbing that goes into your laundry room, that also gets reclassified as a five-year asset. That electrical work that goes into your laundry room gets reclassified. The electrical work that goes to your ceiling fans and all of your units gets reclassified. That's where you as just a building owner or a building manager, you don't have the expertise to that. Put values to that. And so you end up, when people do their own studies, they usually get about 10 to 15%. When we do our studies, we get about 30%. So the extra couple thousand dollars you're paying for a study, you're going to get tenfold back in terms of tax savings because we're going to be able to get better numbers because we know what we're doing versus just kind of picking and choosing the easy stuff. So Makes sense. Yeah, that's a good question because we get asked that, you know, especially on new construction, the building owner or CPA is like, well, Eric, I have a breakout of all the costs. Why can't I just pull the flooring out and depreciate it over five years? And you can, but then my question back is you also have an invoice from the electrician that says $100,000 of electrical work. How much of that is specific for five-year assets? And they have no clue. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, so they can't take that $100,000 and break it up. They just have to leave it all as a a long-term asset where – Having construction knowledge, we can come in and say, okay, we can look at what appliances are in there, figure out how much electrical goes to each of those appliances, and we create a a larger deduction. So those are the two main things. So another selfish question then. So we have a couple of developments coming up early in 2023. At what point does it make sense to engage you on new construction projects? Is it while the walls are still open, or do you prefer to look at a finished product? So in terms of the actual site visit and when we actually do the work, it's once the work is finished. However, we do like to get engaged as early as possible. And I'll tell you why. It's because we like to work with the general contractor to make sure that when they provide you your breakout of cost, mm-hmm. that they're labeling it the way the IRS wants to see and the way that we can maximize the deduction. And I'll give you just a quick example. I've got a door frame here. Oftentimes on construction costs, they'll have a line that says finished woodwork or yep. finished carpentry, finished woodwork, et cetera. Yeah. Well, that could be door frames or that could be crown molding. Now, crown molding is a five-year asset that we get to accelerate the deductions on. Door frames are not. So when we get involved early and we look, okay, here's the construction estimate, and we see those line items that are vague, we'll go back to the contractor and say, hey, we see here that you've got finished carpentry. We wouldn't be able to do anything with that line item if we don't clarify and say, what is that finished carpentry? Is that just door frames? Because door frames are a 27 and a half year asset, or is that crown molding, which is a five-year asset? And so being able to get involved early and get on board, we can increase the benefit by asking some of those questions and getting things categorized the way the IRS wants to see them. So Okay. All right. Given that the IRS, obviously, in this whole business proposition is you know a federally regulated thing, do the states treat these types of segregation studies differently? And I'm curious, like I'm in Connecticut, you're in, you're in Utah, right? Yeah. Your company's in Phoenix. How would that work? Currently, when it comes to cost segregation, states do recognize cost segregation. So you can always accelerate your deductions in all 50 states. Now, where it gets a little tricky is there are 14 states throughout the country that don't conform to the bonus rules of the federal government. Yeah. So California, for example, does not conform. New York does not conform. I don't believe Connecticut does either, if I'm not mistaken. So there are certain states where 
you still want to accelerate those deductions. So what our report would do is you get a federal schedule on our report that says yep. at a federal level, here's what the numbers you get to use. At a state level, here's the numbers you get to use. And we break it out by whether or not each state conforms to bonus depreciation or not. But that's the biggest difference is not all states will accept that bonus amount. Okay. And your company, Cost Segregation Authority, that is a national company or do you operate in all 50 states? We do. Yep. So we do cost segregation in all 50 states, have done buildings in all 50 states. Yeah, we've got offices throughout the West. And then, like I said, but we've got engineers that travel to all 50 states. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So way back when, when we first started talking, I dropped a little nugget that said, I found out during our pre-show interview that you are also a real estate investor. So I'm going to put you on the spot and sure. let's talk about your real estate investing career. Yeah. So I'll give you the short of the long. My very first real estate investing story was an awful story. I I lived in Richmond, Virginia at the time, and we were moving to New York. And I said, you know what? I want to keep this Richmond house that we had purchased, my wife and I. We're going to keep it as a rental. And we're going to manage it ourselves because I'm too cheap to pay the 10% to have someone else manage me. Right, right. So we moved to New York. I find great tenants. What I thought were great tenants. I interviewed them. They sat at my kitchen table. There were great people. They paid their rent for the first three months, and then they never answered my call again. And I was in New York. They were in Richmond, Virginia. And so we ended up selling that house when we moved to Utah because I was like, you know what? I can't do it anymore. I'm too busy with work. I can't manage this stuff. I ended up going after those people, and nine years later, I got my money from them. Wow. That's the good news of the story. I actually was here at work, and I found her original business card that she gave me with her phone number, and I called her or I had her name on it and I found out through LinkedIn where the husband was working and I called the automated, like, you know, enter the gentleman's name. If you know right. the last name or whatever, I entered it, I found out he was working there and then I talked to our attorney and they garnished his wages. So I was able to track him down myself. I was just doing it out of principle. It wasn't because of the money. Trust me. It was just, I felt like he had taken advantage of me and my naiveness. So I wanted to go after him, but that was my first real estate experience, horrible experience realize quickly, and I always have to learn the hard way, Ed. So I realized quickly, there's certain things that I'm good at. There's certain things I'm not good at, and I need to outsource the stuff I'm not good at. And so, yes. So we've got a management company. We've got just a long-term rental single family home. And then just recently we purchased a short-term rental, um, kind of an interesting story there. We just closed on it in November, but the reason for a short-term rental is there's this short-term rental loophole. I don't want to call it a loophole because I don't think it's a loophole. But basically, because I'm a W-2 employee, my wife works for the school district. I'm a W-2 employee. Yep. My real estate deductions are typically considered passive, which means they can't be used to offset my W-2 income. Right. However, I buy a short-term rental that's nearby. It's just a couple hours away from here up on a lake. And we are materially participating in the management of that company. And the IRS has laid forth seven tests that you need to meet. Well, you need to meet one of those seven tests. And so I put in a hundred hours in 2022 staging this property and which is more time than my cleaner, because we just closed on it in November, more time than our maintenance folks. And so because I showed material participation and the average stay was less than seven days, it doesn't get treated like regular real estate. It gets treated more like a hotel. And so I'm doing a cost seg study and I'm going to create a $140,000 deduction, which will offset 140,000 of my W2 income, which will basically recoup 
little more than half of my down payment on this property. And it's, wow. uh, you know, it's an Airbnb. And so I'm getting half my down payment back. The property will pay for itself. It'll generate some cash flow, just a little bit of cash flow. But I really looked at it as a, from a tax perspective and said, Hey, I'm either going to send them my money to the IRS in April, or I can take that money, go buy a revenue generating property, get a good portion of that tax return back. And so that's what I ended up doing. So that's something for new investors or W-2 earners. If you're a W-2 earner and you're paying a lot of taxes, short-term rentals in the current market are a great way to protect some of that income and not have to pay so many taxes on it. Oh, that's fascinating. So congratulations. Welcome to the jungle. Oh, yes. Thank you. It is a jungle. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. You know, unless you are built to manage a property and you've got a team in place, it's really hard. You know, I tried doing it that way originally, and I used to be six foot four, and I'm probably about six foot two now because right. the stress of it all kind of just beats you down <laughs> to the point where yeah. you're not the person you used to be. And so, no. um, so I'm just curious, Eric. When you're not saving the world from the IRS or talking people through the process of renting one of your rental properties, what do you like to do with your wife and family? Yeah. So I've got two kids. I've got a 15-year-old son who keeps me busy and then a 12-year-old daughter who keeps me really busy. Yeah. We like to travel. We like to camp. We typically will stay local. And then I like to play pickleball. I've gotten kind of into pickleball. Oh, yeah. So I play pickleball as much as I can. That's about the only exercise that I get. I am, you can't tell from I'm sitting down, but I'm six foot five. And so I like pickleball because I don't have to move much. I can just right. kind of stand in the middle and reach both sides versus, you know, a large tennis court. So it suits my body type and my speed very well, or my lack of speed, I should say very well to play pickleball. So, so you and I are similarly sized human beings. And <laughs> I prefer to refer to my abilities as cat like reflexes. So <laughs> I discovered pickleball when we were chasing my 15 year old daughter around the Midwest playing softball. We were in oh, Iowa okay. and had a blast. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great sport. It's one of the only sports I know where size, speed, agility, all that goes out. I've been beat by 80 year old women who you look at them and they can barely walk and they are, they know where to hit it. They know how to hit it. They put right. the right spin on it. And so it's a fun sport where I think it it's kind of a level playing ground. There's no, you know, just because I'm six foot six and 280 pounds gives me no advantage in pickleball. Trust me. Right. I've beat by four foot 11, 80 pound, 80 year olds all the time. So as um, they talk trash walking off the, yes, off the court, exactly, right? Exactly. Right. Hilarious. So it's a great um, sport. Yeah. That's awesome. So Eric, if somebody wants to learn more about you or your company wants to engage you, you know, what's the best way to reach out and make that connection? Yeah. So the best way is just through our website. We have a website. It's just www.costsegauthority.com. So costsegauthority.com. And we'll do a free analysis. My contact information's on there, my email, my phone number. So that's probably the best way to get a hold of us. If you've got properties and again, it doesn't hurt to have an analysis run, get an idea of what the expected tax savings would be, what the fee would be, and then always consult with your CPA to determine, to make sure you can utilize those deductions. Right. We'd love to help you guys anyways. Please use this as a resource. We don't, we're kind of a unique accounting firm where we don't do tax returns at our firm. We just do these cost seg studies. And so we, we don't bill by the hour or anything like that. So if you've got questions about depreciation, don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to be a resource for you and your audience. So. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Eric Oliver, it's a pleasure to finally meet you in person. I'm grateful for your expertise. And you and I are going to talk in about 15 minutes about the bar properties here because I need to do this. Yeah, so, sounds you. good. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ed. 
This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast, a Clark Street Capital presentation. Thanks for joining us. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to like and share it with your friends. Also, leave a comment if there's a topic you want us to cover. We read every comment. If you'd like to learn more about Clark Street Capital and our upcoming projects, please feel free to reach out to us and join our investor club at clarkst.com join or join the Underground Insights newsletter at clarkst.com newsletter. Until next time, happy investing.